Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla 76 where we help B2B manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. How does a small mechanical contractor grow into one of the top industrial oven manufacturers in the country while maintaining a partnership over nearly four decades and continuing to innovate all along the way? There's no simple recipe but my guests today are here to tell their story. From putting their customer at the center of every project through custom engineered solutions, to keeping their manufacturing operations in-house to build supply chain resilience and maintain exceptional quality standards, to creating a work environment that makes people say, I wanna retire here. This conversation is about building for long-term success. Let me introduce my guests. Ron Spiker is the owner, CEO, and chairman of the board at Davron Technologies, Inc., or DTI. Over his 40-year career, Ron has been an engineer, business owner, mechanical contractor, and entrepreneur in the field of mechanical engineering and specialty machine design, specifically in the area of industrial heat transfer equipment and associated systems. Ron lives just outside Chattanooga, Tennessee, with his wife, Sherry. He has three sons and amazing daughters-in-law, along with three incredible grandchildren. When Ron is not working, he likes to spend time with family, ride horses, and plan the next travel adventure. David Kraft is president at Davron Technologies, Inc. David has over 40 years of experience at DTI that includes working with sales staff to communicate with customers, developing equipment solutions to meet their specific needs, and coordinating with all the DTI department managers to complete the design and manufacturing of equipment. David and his wife, Tanya, live in a small community on the outskirts of Chattanooga, Tennessee. David has one son and one daughter, and outside of work, he enjoys bass fishing and related outdoor activities. Ron and David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joe. Good to be here. Thanks, Joe. You bet. It's great to have you guys here. We've been, I know we've been like playing ping pong with our calendars for, I don't even know how long at this point, but finally we're able to line up and get this thing booked. So I'm excited to be doing this with you guys. Well, so are we, Joe. It's just we like marking things off our list. Yeah, I bet you do. I bet you do. You're like, all right, I got this podcast thing is finally going to be done, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, but no, it's exciting for us. It's new and yeah. exciting. So yeah, we're looking forward to seeing you anyway. I mean, who wouldn't? Oh man, well, I I appreciate that. I don't. People don't say that too often, so <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> there you go. Great. Well, guys, I would love for you to start by maybe just telling our audience a little bit about the origin of Davron, what you guys do, how you got started in this world of industrial oven manufacturing. Usually I get started and then I let David provide guidance and then further data to close the window, so to speak, on the on the story. We began working together nearly 40 years ago. And at the time we were a mechanical contractor working in a lot of industrial plants, doing HVAC and dust collection systems. We had a shop that did fabrication and installation work. Uh, We did engineering in-house and 
We also did hospital and commercial HVAC systems, plumbing and piping and everything related to buildings and systems. And there were specifically one client jumps out that had a multitude of ovens in their process and in their plant. And we were in this plant every single day doing various contracting, supporting their maintenance crew. We would just work alongside them and uh, we would repair these ovens on a regular basis. They'd run a fork truck fork through the door or controls might uh, go on the fritz. So we'd send a service technician up there to look at it. And, and they got to the point where they needed to add an oven. And, and so it actually started with an opportunity with a process engineer at this facility who came to us and said, hey, I think we could build one together. And we said, sure, we can. So, so we began doing it, and it was for the friction material or the brake pad industry. And uh, then they were going to grow, so they ordered multiples and building a plant down on the coast of Florida and said, hey, can you build even more and uh, ship and install them down to the coast of Florida? Well, of course, of course, who's not going to go to the coast of Florida and do an install? And so at that point, I began to think, you know, there's other people in this particular industry. Uh, and it was a matter of how do we market ourselves to that industry? So in the early days, it was brochures and rep groups and trying our best to just get our name out there. And, and we knew at the time that we were going to be in the, the, the niche or the unique application of an industry, not the standard off the shelf, I, I pick it out of a, you know, a, a brochure type of oven. So that that's that's a a lot of words to talk about the early days. And I know David David was a vital part of that as well. So Dave, I'll I'll throw the monkey to you. And as as Ron said, we started early, just doing what our customers needed. And over time, when we put a a, a bit of a marketing effort behind the brand of Davron, we started to interact with more and more customers that had unique requirements and needed systems to do other things. And over the years, we've not only improved our technology as far as the types of equipment that we manufacture, but we've also uh, accumulated quite the customer base. Uh, our goal has always been to listen as intently as possible to our customers and create solutions or systems to accomplish what they need. And through doing that, we've got a lot of longstanding relationships with various customers. And over the years, we've been fortunate enough to grow that into a number of different industries. And uh, we constantly try to find new industries to work within. But the goal is to provide quality equipment and solve our customers' problems. Over the years, we've gone from just a few people to uh, now quite the staff where we have our own engineering staff as far as the mechanical side. Uh, we also have our own electrical staff for the electrical side, do all the manufacturing in-house with our own employees. We're at all possible, make the machines operational here at our factory and then demonstrate that operation to the customer through a factory acceptance testing and ultimately install it at their facility. But it's uh, it's just a matter of listening to the customer's needs and trying to 
come up with unique solutions to, to make them as efficient as possible. And as far as here at Davron, it's a matter of getting the best people that uh, we can and putting those people in the right places, setting them up for success. I love hearing these origin stories. It's just so interesting to, you know, you think back to where you were uh, when you guys started the business and what you were doing. And then now, and you probably could never imagine this is where you'd wind up. It's, I was talking to my business partner, John, about it the other day. I mean, we were a couple, couple of marketing, you know, college grads who had like doing freelance work, designing logos and brochures and whatever anybody would pay us to do that, you know, could be classified as marketing 17 years ago. And, if you had told me I'd we'd be running a 28-person company specialized in do creating demand for B2B manufacturing organizations, I'd have looked at you and been like, what what does that even mean? Um, and so it's <laughs> but you know, you like you said, David, you listen to your customers, you start to see where the needs are, you start to hire specialists who understand that audience. And you know, you just kind of everything sort of snowballs and, and then you start making really intentional decisions to go even deeper. So it's it's cool to hear just how that has evolved for you. It, it's pretty funny that you mentioned that because we built what we call the new building, which we've almost been in for 25 years now. And I think we moved in in 1999. And at the yeah. time we thought, wow, this will be such a great facility, more space than we could ever imagine that we would need. And we've done a number of expansions since that time and actually more than doubled the size of our manufacturing space. And it continues. I, I believe if the building was twice the size that it is currently, we would eventually fill it up. It's funny, though, that you say that. But in the early days, it's what seems to be monumental, not so monumental. Years later down the road, you go, well, we actually did that. And it's it just a matter of having good people and, uh, it, and realizing that it's a marathon, not a sprint. Stay, stay the course, work hard, listen intently to your customers try to do the best job you can so that when they need something else in our line of work that they they think about us and contact us and want to want to work with us again 100 percent. well kudos to you guys for uh the success you've you've had and all the hard work that's got you where you are well ron and david uh, it probably comes as no surprise to anyone listening here that one thing i've just heard time and time again from various manufacturing leaders over the last few years has just been all kinds of challenges with their supply chains. In some cases, horror stories, frankly. Uh, I know that at Davron, you guys do a lot in-house. And I'm, I would just be interested to hear about how maintaining that level of control has maybe been important to your own business and in particular, how it's maybe helped you during the last few years. So... You raise a, an important point that that is real in our industry. Us doing a lot in-house as far as fabrication work, as far as raw material processing and all that, having that in-house does help substantially. We don't have to, you know, we're not reliant on outside vendors or suppliers. But with regard to components that we still purchase and mount onto our equipment, it's it's been uh, unpredictable. It's been unbelievable, actually. I mean, David will be able to talk about, uh, I'm sure, how many weeks some components are now versus what they were. We've seen some improvement, but what we've had to do is pivot on on some of our approach to our scheduling, uh, payment milestones, 
testing scheduling. I mean, it used to be that we could predict when a machine would be ready to test. And that's become more difficult as all our components were sitting on boats offshore, you know, and hung up there for for weeks and months at a time. So we have had to really pause on that. And it's difficult. We just have to engage our customers in a conversation saying, you know what, we wish we were in control of all component delivery, but we buy these uh, high-level, high-tech components for our ovens for your benefit. And so it's one of those uh, difficult conversations sometimes to say, we're we're not going to be normally, you know, four to six months on this. We've got component deliveries are going to push us out eight to 10. So that's one of those conversations you have to have where you, we, we call it, you know, we have to put our arm around them, tell them the bad news and, and we want them to come away smiling. So, so however we relay that information has to be, you know, carefully thought out, but we have found that to be honest with our customers about that and to let them know about delivery issues is something they may not want to hear. But they need to know it's fair to them, fair to us. And, you know, at the end of, of the project, they don't walk away going, well, Davron never told me or they, they they misled me. You know, we just have to be upfront with them about it. But doing our own manufacturing, doing our own raw material processing and our wiring and electrical and programming, it, it is, to your point, Joe, highly valuable for us to be in control of that uh, inside our four walls. But it's it's still I we were talking about it in a meeting last week that deliveries have improved for some items, then some items have improved and now they're moving back a little bit. So, uh, again, David can comment more to that, but we've we've had to change. It will forever change how we begin communication with a customer when we give them a proposal has to. And in most cases, those customers are manufacturing companies which the possibility of a supply chain delay doesn't usually come to them as a surprise. If they make something, they also have experienced supply chain delays. A lot of our customers that we have really good relationships with have contacted us and said, hey, we're considering projects for the coming year. What kind of lead times are we looking at? Give give us a range where we know when we need to start. In some cases, they're starting earlier. In addition to the supply chain, the the labor force thing kind of led us to, in some cases, put into operation additional machines or different groups of machinery to, to bring things, more things, even more things in-house to, to do different processes and so forth so that we have the opportunity to control our own destiny rather than relying on someone else that in the end of the day comes back and says, well, you know, I'm short on employees, my my product is it, it has a, an extended lead time whatever the case may be we try to do is uh, like we said as much of it as we can ourselves in-house with our own employees and our own machinery and equipment so that we can control it but it's definitely changed for sure since covid and all that came about but ron spoke about it a little bit the the lead times we're starting to see lead times come back to more normal time frames in some cases, some things are a new normal. They're 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 longer than they used to be, but it's pretty stable now. So at least you can plan for it. But 
a lot of it is planning ahead and actually thinking about it and being upfront with the customer that's going to ultimately have the machine and let them know what, what battles we're fighting and what we're up against. And then once we establish that timeline to be diligent, to stay on course and stay on time. And, and for the most part, we do really well at that. It's uh, but it's a matter of setting an obtainable goal to start with and, and checking all the, checking all the boxes to make sure we did our part on the front end and not get any surprises on the back end. Every now and then something unexpected happens, but for the most part, we've, we've learned to manage that new normal better. Yeah. I think that expectation setting is just so key. I mean, I just I see it in, in my world so much too, to just have those honest conversations with people, let them know what to expect. And, and there's no surprises and those, there can be t- tough conversations to have, but always for the better. In in most cases though, they're, they're expecting that type of conversation. It yeah. would, and so it's not a, it's not a surprise. It's just a matter of coming up with something that we can actually do that also fits their time, time frame timelines for their needs to, to be in production, to make that particular product. And as most of the time we'll through communication can figure out what's suitable to both and what we can actually do and, get them what they need when they need it so that they can do what they need to do and manufacture their products. Okay, let's take a quick break here. I want to let a couple of our strategists at Gorilla76 tell you about something pretty cool that we're doing right now for marketing folks in the manufacturing sector. Peyton and Brendan, take it away. So I'm Peyton Warren. And I'm Brendan Forrest. Twice a month, we host a live event called Industrial Marketing Live. Right now, we have a group of 50-plus industrial marketers from a variety of manufacturing organizations that meet up digitally to learn, ask questions, network, and get smarter. Every session has a designated topic, and one of our team members at Gorilla76 opens up by teaching for the first half hour or so. Topics have included how to do a better manufacturing webinar, getting started with paid social on LinkedIn, how to optimize your website for conversions, creating amazing video content, and so much more. After we break it down, we open it up to Q&A so we can help you apply all of this in your own businesses. This is pure value, no cost, no strings attached, no product or service pitches, just a 100% unadulterated learning experience. And on top of these live sessions, we've also opened up a Slack channel where attendees bounce ideas off each other and learn together between sessions. We're building a true community of manufacturing marketing professionals here. So if you or someone at your company has the word marketing in his or her job title, please consider telling them about it. They can visit industrialmarketinglive.com to register. We'd love to see you there. Well, David, Ron, I know that at Davron, your products are very custom engineered to the problems that your customers are trying to solve. In some cases, your customers may be even inventing a process from scratch. They can launch a novel product or produce something in a new way. What does that require of you and your team when you're sort of implementing with that level of customization and I guess client specificity or customer specificity? Wow. That's a good question, Joe. For for us, we we love that. We love new opportunities. Uh, we love new industries. We love new whatever the part is that they're wanting to process through one of our heat transfer devices or one of our ovens or conveying a robotics to load or unload. We love the challenge, but I would be lying if I didn't say that the anxiety level goes up a little bit uh, here because that forces us to really focus on, go back to engineering fundamentals, 
Okay. Uh, we don't ever want to say we can do something that, that we can't. So we apply fundamentals, technical fundamentals, but we also do some R&D. A lot of times we'll ask the customer, ship us some test parts with, with NDAs in place, of course. We have to we love NDAs, non-disclosures. We actually like those because that tells us, okay, we're we're getting ready to have a, a, a deep conversation or a conversation at a different level that other vendors may not be invited to participate in. So we feel like that's interesting point that we cross, but we'll do a lot of R&D. We've got some test ovens here in our facility. We also, as we're building ovens, uh, there, there might be one that's a similar application and we'll be able to do, you know what, we'll just designate a day to shut down normal production and or, or testing for one customer and maybe run a new opportunity through it just to, just to get data. You know, engineers love data. Uh, we love the black and white. But when the customer gives us a request for a machine that's never been built before anywhere in the world, um, those are unique discussions to have, particularly when it comes to purchasing. And they talk about lead times and discounts and, you know, payment milestones that they want to make that are, you know, they don't want to pay for anything for, you know, two years after delivery. So, I mean, those are interesting conversations to have as well. But we love the challenge. And I think that what that does is help us help set Davron at a, at a different level with a lot of these customers. because. If they come to us with a with a unique opportunity that doesn't exist in the world, that, then they're really considering a, a brand new process for the industry that they're in, potentially, right? Uh, we we love to be a part of that. We we want to help them solve that issue. Now, they know their product generally, they know the chemical composition of their product, but we know how to apply heat. We know how to load and manipulate products to, to load and unload the ovens. And so it's those are interesting conversations to have. And what's more interesting about it is that we share our data, our learned data, after we do some R&D, to engage the customer and say, you know what, Davron, we want to partner with you on this. We have a high level of trust. Now, they will have checked us out, of course, from all different avenues, uh, which is good. That's absolutely what they should do. But it's really satisfying for me then to come away and say, you know what, new process, potentially a new product, and a lot of times a new customer that's got some private funding, and, and this is a whole new industry. I mean, this is the world we live in. Uh, we're not just heat processing materials that have been in existence for hundreds of years. With electric vehicles now, there's a multitude of products now that have had to be developed by sometimes brand new companies. And, and, and we love to be a part of that stuff. And I've gone a little bit too deep there, but we, it is, it's interesting for an engineer, you know, and, and for our technical guys here, we love that. We love engaging in something that really stretches us and pushes us and allows us to be a part of, of uh, the, the next level of industry that's going on. David's got a different viewpoint. This is interesting because David generally and his team take these concepts and put a price to them, have to somehow assign value. I'm one that wants to do it, 
David, sometimes there's some anxiety there going, dude, there's a whole lot that, you know, a lot of I's to dot and T's to cross. We got to be sure about this. And I'm, I'm go, go. And, and so David takes it, buys in, develops a concept. And then he actually gets a little bit of interesting pushback from our technical team saying, you sold what, you know, once it becomes a job and they have to get the engineering done. It, it is so, it's so interesting how our team handles that. They're awesome. David may have a different viewpoint. I know he does. But, but in, in all cases, it's kind of a matter of a customer contacts us and they want to do something. Whatever that something is, they know a little about what they want to do or they know a whole lot about what they want to do. It, and it, it ranges all over the place. So it's kind of analyze what they want to do and the data that they can provide us pertaining to what they want to do come up with a list of questions to get enough information to then have a logical conversation with them about it and try to determine the things that are have some variance in them and things that are set in the process. No, this can't change no matter what. But all of our customers tend to typically want the same things. They want manufacturing efficiency. They want the smallest footprint possible for the least amount of cost or investment in the process. Just speaking in general terms. So once we get through the information sessions and and try to understand what they want to accomplish, we have a tremendously creative group of guys on our sales and engineering side that we come up with various ways to do that. And usually we'll land on a particular method that makes the most sense to accomplish the task at hand. And then from there, try to create that, that to change that idea into a realistic machine. And ultimately, if if things go well and we get to build that machine, then the, the machine is typically built, of course, on quality manufacturing based on sound engineering. But at that point, we've we've went through, we've crossed a lot of hurdles trying to determine okay, exactly what is it that we need to accomplish? What do we need to engineer? What do we need to build to best solve their problem? And and most of the time, it goes really well. It's a matter of of trying to sort through that data and figure out what's the best solution for the problem that was initially presented as far as we manufacture this and here's what we know or don't know about it. And how do how do we get to the other side? And it it, it, see, it proves to be to work well. You just have to be open minded and work as a team. And most of the time, the end solution that we actually build that's in our plant floor is a a mesh of a lot of different ideas from a lot of people within the building, whether that be mechanical or electrical or various thoughts or ideas on how to how to do a particular part of that overall process and then we of course validate uh, the machinery with proper testing protocol before shipment and make sure that we can prove operation so it's a it's an interesting process it's also a, a process that for us in our particular case our total span on from initial contact to shipping the machine is is a pretty long time in most cases. And of course, with some of the supply chain issues and personnel and 
so forth, lead time related stuff. Things probably take a little longer now to get from the beginning to the end than they used to. But we've also learned over time that the more thought we can put into it on the front end, the better the end result. The, the less questions we'll have when it's time to actually complete the manufacturing and the better result we'll get when that machine is manufactured. The more we communicate internally, the more we communicate externally with our customers and and solve those issues and understand those things before we actually do it, the better we are. Great answers there. Guys, one philosophical principle that I know my business partner, John, and I share with the two of you is that we're incredibly committed to investing in our people. And I'd love for you to talk about why this mindset has been so important to your sustained success at Davron. That again, a good question. Uh, again, I touched on earlier about how important it is for us to hire and partner with uh, men and women of character. Willingness to learn is part of character, in my opinion, because while David and I don't have all the answers, we've got 37 years of experience doing this. So from from, from the ground up, so there's there's a fair amount. To, to pour into the organization, right? But we we realize that for the longest time, our our system was basically through one person, right? I think that's pretty much our system. David sort of grew up in this company, and and um, and, and I and our our system was basically we had a singular or dual gatekeeper. And what we needed to do was develop a system for how information flowed through our company. And I'll, I'll get to the answer about how important people are. It, it, it sort of plays together because we get information flows from first contact with an idea from a potential customer all the way out the door to a finished product in a plant floor that's running and producing products. So we go from a concept all the way to a, a real machine, a seven-figure machine. These are these are could potentially high-dollar machines. So there's a lot of information that has to has to be processed at that point. So what we realized early on was we need a system for that information to flow through. If we're singular or dual gatekeepers, that's really a choke point because I know it's working well, but we knew that we needed to improve that system and engage people of good character, smart people here in our system. So that's part of our learning process, you know, over the years. But we also, we realize those people are, have a great contribution and they're here 24 seven if, if they need to be in an emergency situation. And there's a lot of value to that. We value their personal time, their family time, uh, vacation time, because when they're here, they're here. And when they're here extra, they need to be here extra. They are, they're here. And that's so comforting for us. But we also know that once we we pour into a really valuable partner here in our system of good character, that it is so it costs so much money. If you think about the cost to replace that person, it's really, you know, you don't want to do that math. So all the investment we make 
has to be based on, again, that's why good character, we look at, you know, have they moved around? What's their what's their history look like? Are they a one and two year previous jobs over the last four or five, six, seven, eight years? Or are they a pretty steady person? That's part of evaluating character, right? If, if you don't know a person, you sort of have to go back to their resume and, and try to make that evaluation. But David and I love family. Uh, we love our personal time with family and we realize we're not going to be around here forever. And and so to have a core of young people in their thirties and mostly in their thirties, I think Dave, right. Uh, most of our young yeah. group is thirties and younger, actually. Uh, I would say our average age would land in the thirties for sure. Yeah. They, they love what we're doing. And and so what that tells me is we're, we're doing something right. But I think valuing themselves, valuing their family, valuing uh, their personal development and their personal enjoyment, their personal downtime. I, it, I think it, I think it says a lot. And, um, but again, when, when you, as we've built, as we've been fortunate to, to engage and to partner with, our employees and the team we've built, golly, it's just, they're invaluable, right? And and so we don't want to lose them. And uh, we want them to love this place. We've had a couple of them uh, in their late 20s, early 30s say, you know what? I love it here. I I can't wait to retire from here. And and I think they got a little excited when they knew I was sort of looking at it. You know, I'm 62 years old. David's the young, the younger guy at 60. Are you 60 yet? No. Yeah. But, you know, that I think to have the trust in our younger team to carry the water day to day and to really do that and let them do it and uh, not micromanage, but to really give them a responsibility, ask them to do something and actually then give it to them. They're rising to the occasion. And, and, and again, I, I, Tony Dungy wrote a book on a couple of books on mentor leadership that I, that I really like. And, you know, I took away from that. You, you educate those around you. You, you. You're not a gatekeeper of information. You let that, you open that gate. That gate's always open. And it allows us to do, you know, the, 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 the customer communication or the business planning that we need to do as we let what we know pour into everybody around us. It lowers the anxiety level a little bit when everybody here knows the system. They knows how We all know how the information flows, and we pretty well know a response. Even in an emergency situation, everything's unique, but when people are trained and we're all like-minded with regard to taking care of our customer, then everybody knows, hey, I know how. We know how to handle this. I mean get the we try to get the best people that we can get as far as like Ron said people of character good people that are are wanting to work and and take care of their families and and try to give them the the best place that we can if if you have to work it might as well be at a good place so we we try to or at least we feel like we give them a opportunity to work at a good place to work we try to give them a a fair or higher than fair wage uh, as far as as compared to other things it's a competitive 
marketplace as far as workforce. Nobody has to work here, so we, we want to make it as beneficial as possible, uh, give them benefits as far as paid holidays, vacation, things of that nature. And in a lot of, uh, we're somewhat of a trade-related company. In a lot of trades, it's a, you if you work an hour, you get paid an hour. And if you're off for a holiday or whatever, you, you don't get paid. We, we kind of change that to to have paid holidays and vacation benefits and then things of that nature. Try to keep a, a as clean a workplace as possible, uh, a, a safe workplace, and, and just expect everybody to to do their part. And we, in turn, try to do our part to to provide the best workplace we can. And it's uh, everybody has a job to do, and everyone that's here at Davron is ultra critical as far as getting the entire process completed. No, no one person or group of people that specialize in one thing could get the whole picture done without everyone. It's 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 very much a team approach. We're not playing sports, but it's a everybody has to do their part to to succeed in the end and so so everyone's important and that's just that's kind of how i see the whole thing i love i love your philosophy there i think we're we're really well aligned and uh, we've i've had the the pleasure my team and i have had the pleasure of working directly with you guys as a client over the last three to four years or so and I mean it when I say you guys really set the bar. I hear it all the time from my team in terms of you know type of client we like to work with, both as a company and, and just the human beings inside your organization. So, congrats on on what you've built, and um, yeah, we look forward to continuing to build that relationship with you guys. So, I, I wanted to just say thanks for for doing this today. This is a really great conversation, and would love for you guys to just let our audience know where they where they can learn a little bit more about Davron and get in touch if they'd like to. I'll let David speak to that. He's got it all in his right there on the forefront of his forehead. So <laughs> he's the ace salesman. I mean, the easiest way to learn more about us would be through our website, davrontech.com. A lot of examples of our machines and equipment and our capabilities. And we'd love the opportunity to work with anyone that might hear this today and be looking for someone that builds uh, industrial process equipment or whatever they might do. If it's not, if they contact us, it's not something we do. We'll certainly uh, enjoy having a conversation with them and let them know that's just not what we specialize in, but uh, we, uh, we would welcome the opportunity to meet some new folks. And we love in-person visits too, Joe. Uh, we're located just uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee River runs through Chattanooga. We're just north of the river, and we we love in-person visits. When people walk in and see equipment, it 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 gives them a unique perspective, a better perspective of of what we build. And I remember uh, hearing from your team to walk out in the shop and actually see these machines. It was impactful for them. So I'm glad they they came and got some good video. But yeah, we love pop-ins. Doesn't happen very often, but. Uh, but we're we're always here and uh, we're here every day and we love giving tours. Beautiful. Well, guys, great conversation today. I really appreciate you doing this. Glad we finally got it on the books. Thank you, Joe. Right. I appreciate lot, it. Joe. We appreciate it. Yeah. You bet. Thank you very much, brother. Absolutely. As for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of the Manufacturing Executive.
You've been listening to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.